Hello there, friends, and welcome to Down the Yellow Brick Pod, your enchanted passport and sometimes twister over the rainbow and down a yellow brick rabbit hole as we pull back the curtain on American culture's most visited fairyland. We are your co-hosts, Tara and MK, your good trouble witches of the concrete jungle, here to preserve the rustic emeralds of yesteryear and reimagine an Oz for today and future generations. This season, our third, we return to Baum and the turn of the 20th century, finishing up our remaining 13 books in the original Oz series penned by first royal historian of Oz himself, L. Frank Baum, and published between 1904 and 1920 posthumously. And then we return to Oz, taking up residency in Disney's dark, disturbing, and kind of delayed fantasy sequel of the Kinder Trauma Age, scarring viewers since 1985, a near 50 years after the MGM release. Wheelers in shock therapy and screaming heads. Oh my, we are in for a wild ride. Buckle up, babies. Off the pod, feel free to visit our Insta at Down the Yellow Brick Pod for an accompanying Technicolor scrapbook, as well as our Patreon Pod Squad, where we continue the escapism and entertainment with bonus content from Tiny Oz Concerts, think coffee shop style covers and mashups of Aussie tunes, our Yellow Brick vlogs, exclusive episodes, monthly parties with occasional special guest drop-ins and giveaways, and more behind-the-scenes shenanigans. As a community-funded podcast, our Patreons are truly our backbone, our people. So consider joining our pod squad today. It would make our day. Now, may the world of Oz continue to be a bewitching escape in bewildering years, nostalgic and nuanced, and a magical refuge where two gals in New York City can cross yellow brick roads with wonders like you. Hey, M, to Oz? To Oz! Sarah K. Krotzer is the current editor-in-chief of the Bomb Bugle, the MLA-listed journal of the International Wizard of Oz Club, in which capacity she has served since 2018. She has been a member of the Oz Club and an avid Bugle reader since she was seven years old. She does freelance work as a writer and editor and lives in Knoxville, Tennessee. Happy birthday, Princess Ozma. <laughs> Hello, Sarah. Hello, MK. Here we are in the magic of Oz. And I thought to start us off, since we end in a birthday party, a classic ending that we have seen before <laughs> in The Road to Oz, um, I wanted to ask you both a preference to start us off. Do we enjoy intimate gatherings for birthdays more where it's a scaled down couple of folks, or do we enjoy the lavish party with um, dancing piglets and monkeys coming out of cakes (laughs) more? What do we prefer to have? I want to just hear your Mm. hot takes on what you would want for a birthday, ideal birthday celebration. (laughs) Yay, birthday celebrations. Okay, okay. I feel like what comes to my mind is like a sensible 12 to 15 people. I feel like that's, it is kind of a larger group, but it's nothing too crazy. It's not like, you know, 50. Um, I feel like some of my favorite parties have been um, when I went to like roller skating 
there were like probably 15 people there at my 30th birthday at our old place or your place tear um <laughs> this this year there were probably like 12 to 15 i feel like that's a good number to where people can kind of break off in pairs or groups of three but then it's still not too many to where you can all hang out kind of together in a large group it keeps it fun it keeps it spicy but you can still have individual time with everyone do you need scheduled events do you need to have entertainment what do you like to have on the docket mm, i like to have an activity so like i feel like the roller skating was super fun because you cool. could go off and do something i even skated on my own for a little bit um there's got to be a cake at some point with like rainbow sprinkles on top but i do like to okay. keep it a little just let people hang let people meet each other that's my favorite thing is like when my friends come together who don't know each other yes, yet yes. so that's my preference. I love that question. Silly question. Sarah, how are you <laughs> feeling about this question? Well, um, birthday parties. Um, <laughs> hmm. I think a birthday is always a very personal thing for me. Mm -hmm. um, something I've done since I was very, very small is I know what time I was born at. And it was early in the morning, really a little earlier than anyone would normally get up. <laughs> so every morning, pretty much as long as I can remember, I have gotten up before then. And my my little habit is to, at the, the minute I was born, um, I have a minute of reflection on the previous year. And that starts my birthday off right. Um, and then for me, a birthday is one that's usually pretty relaxing. So I like a, an intimate gathering. I come from a very small family. And so having that family around me is important. Um, I also try to keep a little time for myself. I am something of a lonesome duck. And, uh, you know, maybe a, a special book I want to read some from or a, um, a special film I want to watch or something. Just a little me time. But uh, so, yeah, I think the intimate small gathering is good for me. But um, I've, I've had some big ones, too, that were also very nice. So it just kind of it really depends on where you are in your life and who's around you. So I think both of those things can be really wonderful. You're so Agreed. right with it depends like where you are, who's around you. I'm thinking about, you, you just made me think about how many times I've been away on a contract with new show families for my birthday. So all those birthdays look very different than ones where I am home. But I'm with y'all. An intimate gathering is more my jam. <laughs> I mm -hmm. like I like to attend lavish parties. Like I love to be a guest at lavish parties. But for my own self, an intimate gathering totally meets my, I guess, social butterfly um, levels. Because I definitely can be a social butterfly, but when it's too many people, I start to feel myself cocooning more. So I mm -hmm. am with you and definitely like love a game, love an activity. I'm trying to think like, what am I going to do this year? I don't know. Rock climbing maybe? Who knows? I don't know. Ooh. Let's do something different. I don't know. We'll see. But yes. Excellent. Cool. I'm glad we get to start in the land of birthday parties. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into this book. See you there, friends.
Welcome back, listeners. So, so happy to be here with Tara and Sarah for The Magic of Oz by L. Frank Baum from June 7th, 1919, published, I believe I have this correct, one month and a day after L. Frank Baum's passing, unfortunately. But our full title, because we got to know what that is, is A Faithful Record of the Remarkable Adventures of Dorothy and Trot and the Wizard of Oz, together with the Cowardly Lion the Hungry Tiger, and Cap'n Bill in their successful search for a magical and beautiful birthday present for Princess Ozma of Oz. Yes, Queen. <laughs> this is it now. I know. Well, I truly... This was my That's first time point. reading this. That's a bullet point. This was my first time reading this, and after I read that subtitle, I was like, well, spoiler alert, I know exactly <laughs> what's about to happen. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. But let's get into the magic of Oz. Tara, are you ready to kick us off with your bullet point? Sure am. Bullet (laughs) point number one. Oh, look, Mount Munch is making a return appearance. We begin on the east edge of the land of Oz in Munchkin country, back near Nimmy Amy's secluded turf, this time traveling to Mount Munch's saucer top peak, where people do indeed live. Though the down below munchkins have never met them, people called the high ups, no relation to Glinda Upland of the upper uplands, soon introduced to retired and grieved sorcerer Binny Aru. Am I saying that correctly? Binny Aru? We can talk about this later, but bomb pronunciations or whatever you want them to be, (laughs) one in this book. No, I'm I'm (laughs) going to actually jump in here. Um, Baum tells us how to say uh, the son's name for once, um, because in the manuscript, he, he originally spelled it a different way. Um, he originally spelled it K-I-K-K-I. So I think we're probably going for Kiki-Aru, which is not how I would have said oh, it. Oh, that makes me oh. sad, actually. I really like Kiki. <laughs> <laughs> Kiki. Didn't Kiki-Aru have a hit with Elton John in the 80s? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, totally. Um, but yes, Kiki-Aru is apparently... What he intended, I don't know why, um, but we do Okay, I'm going to try my best, which I'm coming up on. Okay, so Binny Aru, who has in his possession a magical word, truly impossible to pronounce, a word that I'll merely spell P-Y-R-Z-Q-X-G-L, pretty much vowel-less, that can induce transformations without the aid of any other magical tool when said correctly, a burden and a blessing for Binny to hold. Hiding papers proclaiming the proper pronunciation of the word beneath a floorboard in his home that, oh no, his sourpuss son, Kiki Aru, finds and copies to aid his own escaping of his Mount Munch misery, turning into a large bird to flee Oz and its ban on magic, crossing the deadly desert and many other bomb fairylands before finally seeking shelter at an inn in the land of Ev. Hey, Princess Languidier, where he can't stay, though, without that many, honey, a foreign concept to hospitable Ozians. So he turns himself back into a bird to steal gold from an old passerby, which is noticed and applauded by a queer old man standing nearby who turns out to be Ragido, my boo, and one gnome king, <laughs> who longs to do his own sneaky transformations again and has clearly not reformed, becoming roommates with Kiki Anu at the inn where he unloads his pent-up revenge schemes on the people of Oz, offering Kiki and Anu, a barter 
I just want to say Kiki. Kiki, a new <laughs> partner with Jules for Kiki's secret power of transformation necessary to overthrow Oz, which Kiki, a new, agrees to partake in, but stays sly and silent in his sharing of the magical word, only sharing that he wants to go to the Rose Kingdom the next morning. But Ragido is able to persuade Kiki Anu to get a move on to Oz, who decides to transform them both into beasts to avoid being tracked in Glinda's great book of records. It doesn't record animals without still revealing the secret to Ragido as both don't trust each other and plan to secretly destroy another once Oz is conquered. Turning into the Philadelphia Eagles for their first transformation to get them to Oz undetected. Mean, I'm just kidding. They didn't turn into eagle into the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, while, but just normal Eagles. While, meanwhile, in the perfectly contented Emerald City, who suspects no danger at all? Dorothy is stressing on what to get Ozma for her birthday and asks Trot and Captain Bill for a brainstorm sesh, who direct her to the glass cat to tell Dorothy where to get the magic flower that resides in Munchkin country and blooms by the minute. Cap'n Bill and Trot deciding to go together to retrieve it, leaving Dorothy to ask other friends what they are making Ozma for her birthday, which includes a long titled song by Scraps, a tin girdle that cannot be comfortable from the tin pan, <laughs> straw suits that cannot be protective from the scarecrow, <laughs> and then a couture <laughs> gown spun out of actual emeralds from Glinda in her quaddling country palace. How can Dorothy top that when Glinda suggests she make Ozma a Kathy Selden singing in the rain like cake that has some sort of <laughs> surprise in it that pops out? And naturally, Dorothy is like, Monkeys that dance, teaming up next with the wi- with the wizard and the cowardly lion and hungry tiger to capture question mark three monkeys. Ugh. They can train to do the trick in Gillikin Country. While meanwhile, in Gillikin's forest of Gugu, Gugu, great an untamed home for wild beasts, including unicorns. What ruled yes. by a leopard named. Gugu, our batty birds have landed and now turn themselves into a hodgepodge of scary beasts, ready to continue on their wicked plan now on the soil of Oz. Dun, dun, dun. Ooh. My God, I'm sweating. Unicorns. (laughs) Hello, unicorns. Welcome, unicorns. Did not know they existed. Dragons, unicorns, we've got them all. (laughs) Great work, Terror. Thank you. So I also, I love Kiki. <laughs> I'm just going to refer to <laughs> Kiki as Kiki for Kiki, the sake yeah, of my I'm voice. doing this for everybody and I didn't mean no. to. Um, no, I love it. it. I really Kiki, just think it's Kiki. funny because nobody knows how Bond pronounced I know. his names. Right, um, yeah. And we have debates about them, right? I mean, you've apparently picked, is it Ruggido? Is that what we're? Ruggido. Oh my gosh. Ruggido. Just okay. because... I want to snuggle up to him. Sure. And I, I she listen, loves him. I listened to you talk about um, the pronunciation of Roquat in an yes. earlier ah. episode. Which, uh, and, and how Roquat. that can be Roquat as well, right? Roquat. Um, so, someone well, said Roquette as well. I forget. Uh, a pronunciation I had never thought of, but one that, see, once upon a time, I was sitting at a table with Scott Cummings, who is the, a former editor of the Bomb Bugle, and we were having a very fun discussion like this. Um, about Bomb's pronunciations. Now, nobody knows how to say anything. And so some people say languid ear, some people say languid air, um, right. some people Ooh. say uh, ruggedo, some people say ruggedo. Um, 
I say Kalidaw, nobody else does. They say Kaleida. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody interrupted us. I don't remember who, but I think it was uh, D. Michelle. And he said, well, you know how to pronounce the Gnome King's original name, right? And we said, no, D, how do we do it? And he said, his name is Rocket, Rocket the Red. Oh, <gasps> come on, Rocket the Red. And we just sort of because we had never thought of that in oh, our combined 80 years. Um, that makes sense that it would be that simple, too, because he does those mm-hmm. like little tiny changes. He does that. Right. So the, the only reason I brought up Kiki Aru is, first of all, Kiki. I don't think anybody would look at those four letters and pronounce them that way. Um, mm-hmm. But also because we really don't know what he was doing. And I'm not even sure he knew what he was doing. Uh, some of the little scraps that remain of, I think it's the Tin Woodman of Oz, he's trying out different names. So he just kind of went with whatever sounded good to him. And we are left with a hundred year legacy of mispronouncing them and interrupting <laughs> each other about pronouncing them and so on. So anyway. It's kind of amazing. I love it. Let's just oh, call him Rocket. Kiki Palmer. Kiki Rocket Palmer. The Red. <laughs> Rocket the Red, Kiki I Palmer. I love Rocket, right. actually. I know. That's very fun. I never would have thought of that, but it, it probably does make was that. Sense. That's probably yep. exactly what it was. <laughs> like what was I last time the 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 thistles, like the people of Thi? And I was like, the people of thigh. And you were like, like, nope, no. thigh, as in thistles. I was like, That's oh, duh. Oh, I've always said thee. Thigh ah. makes a lot of sense. Th- as yeah. in thistles. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Brain explosion. But it doesn't emoji. look right. Like, you would never say thigh, you know, on Right, that's own. strange. Like, it feels very yeah. strange. <laughs> I love it. My tongue feels flubbery. Flubbery. Fluttery budget. Well, getting into bullet point number two, let's give it a try. Here we go. Kiki Palmer. Kiki Palmer is on her way. <laughs> Kiki. Transformed into Limon Eags. Ooh, Ruggedo and Excellent. Kiki warn the beasts of the forest that the people of Oz are about to make war upon them. After seeing a transformation take place with their own eyes, it is decided the beasts of the forest will make a decision at sunrise tomorrow if they will join in the takeover plan. Switching back to Trot and Bill walking through the forest, Bill builds a raft to carry them across a river, but they quickly encounter a Kalida! 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 Take your pick. <laughs> Kalida, whom Bill casually drives a stake into, pinning it Wild. to the ground, but not killing it because we are reminded that's not a thing in Oz. Not anymore. Finally, <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> Finally making it to the island and so close to the flower pot. But suddenly Trot and Bill are stuck to the ground, oh. their feet rooted into the earth. Another horror story. The Kaleida frees himself and is never heard from again. And Trot and Bill beg Bungle. I don't know if the cat is ever mentioned as being Bungle, but it's Bungle, correct? Yeah. We, yes, we're free to Bungle. say that. Not in this one, I Great. think. And I think Eureka is like the pink kitten all of a sudden, too, in this right. one. Eureka once. Yes. And once. But okay. I don't, yeah, but I don't even think they're ever like, this is Bungle, right? No. So <laughs> no. I was like, but that's Bungle. So clearly. Well, he's confused like, about the cat's gender, too. So, you know. <laughs> I, this is true. We'll get into it. 
Trot and Bill beg Bungle to go to the Emerald City to ask the wizard to free them, promising that all the Emerald City citizens will praise them for doing so. Back to the forest of Gugu, Ruggedo makes a speech of his plans to all the beasts, and they give a raucous cry of approval, though some still feel on the fence. But who's this approaching? It's Dorothy, the hungry tiger and the cowardly <laughs> lion, completely freaking out the Gnome King, who remembers their previous encounters. But <laughs> Kiki quickly transforms Dorothy into a lamb, the wizard into a fox, the lion into a munchkin, Ruggedo into a goose, the tiger into a rabbit, and Gugu into a Gillikin woman, causing the beasts <laughs> of the forest to stampede. Kiki quickly steals the wizard's black bag of magic tools for good measure as Dorothy laments her new form while Bungle makes it to the Emerald City, but is told by Toto and Eureka that the wizard is in the Gugu forest and Bungle quickly runs to make her rescue. Meanwhile, Kiki and Ruggedo have a tiff about power and Kiki finally decides to transform the monkeys of the forest into giants so they will do their bidding but not without the wizard hiding sneakily nearby and overhearing the magic word, which he then uses to transform Kiki and Ruggedo into a walnut and a hickory nut and finally Yum. transforms <laughs> finally transforms himself and his friends back into their back into their original forms. But back to poor Trot and Bill, still stuck waiting by their magical flower. They realize they can make wishes that affect the flower pot, but they can't wish themselves back to their original forms, unfortunately. A lonesome duck soon wanders up to them and after some begging, magically creates some toadstools for Trot and Bill to sit on through some incantations, making their predicament a bit more comfortable while they await rescue. <gasps> Captain Bill and Little Trot walking through the forest. <laughs> I was going to sing. That. Yes, that totally came in my brain. They totally are that. I also was laughing because wasn't it the previous book or a book before where, Terry, you were like, Bomb says that Bill was Trot's former friend. Now they're back. Who knows? It's so funny. He literally describes it. I was like, oh, <laughs> did we not witness a tiff? <laughs> <laughs> Something back went together. Amok. Yep, they're reunited. Yes, they're back, and their their situation makes this me squish. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty grim. Yeah, Sarah, Don't like this. Take us home. Yes. Okay. Well, um, honestly, after uh, a nice book like this of of teenage angst and yes. radicalization and despair. <laughs> Uh, and the eternal comfort of loneliness. Um, it's all declining action from here on out. Yes. And really the only way you could uh, with a really big birthday party and a double brainwashing. Double. Um, everyone goes home, right? I mean, everyone goes back to the Emerald City. Um, the glass cat has a little mud bath along the way, which yeah. is kind of a little disturbing. Um yeah. Although I love that the glass cat shows back up at the Emerald City having gotten there first. And she ignores them. <laughs> like Meet a cat. You. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, 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 uh, Dorothy and the wizard make it to the island. They meet the lonesome duck who doesn't want them to step on his house. Uh, they get a raft over to Trot and Cap'n Bill. Use the magic word to change them into birds, I think. 
Oh, bumblebees. Bumblebees. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. Had a mental lapse. Bumblebees. There's lots of things. Eagles. The lion and the tiger don't eat them. They eat some other bumblebees. <laughs> um, get changed back into <laughs> Captain Dylan Trot. Everyone goes home. Cat has her mud bath. Uh, we take some monkeys with us. Yeah, the whole purpose. And there's a birthday party. <laughs> and there's monkeys at the birthday party. It's a very strange ending to a book, honestly. And that's part of why I'm talking about it the way I am. To me, the book ends around chapter. We get this really specific. Yeah, like chapter 19. And then there's four more chapters. Yeah, you're right. There's <laughs> like padding. You know, what Frank likes to do. Um, he likes to end a book and then keep it going. But this is a strange one because there's almost nothing left. We go back, we have a party, we party, we party, we party. Oh, yeah, those nuts. What are we going to do about those nuts? Okay, wizard, take, take the nuts out. And I got it. Let's take away their memories of who they are. Let's not even find out who they were first. Let's yeah. Just oh, Sarah, oh, you're so right. No trial. And that's what they do. And that's how the no book child. ends. A very strange ending to a book. Um, and I think, yeah, oof. I think it's a strange ending, particularly because they brainwash a child or a teenager. Um, right. It's not just the gnome who who gets a nice home and lives out the rest of his days until you Yikes. encounter him again. Um, it's a relatively faultless teenager um, who has done some terrible things but probably didn't deserve to lose his whole identity over it. Mm -hmm. a really strange, harsh ending. Um, and it's also very fast. And I have some, some thoughts on why that might be, but it still, to me, feels like massive falling action. All the really interesting parts in the book are up to about chapter 17, right? Yeah, M's bullet point. <laughs> right. And uh, maybe you. just slightly beyond it. Um, Thank you so much. And everything from there is just sort of like a, a strange stop-start resolution. Very odd structure. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Good call, Sarah. Mm. That's a good way to describe it. Because, yeah, I was just like... Ooh, we're padding this book, I guess, just to hit that <laughs> chapter 24, chapter 25 ending that he likes. Mm -hmm. We usually typically end a book in like chapter 24, chapter 25 land. Right. I don't know if that's like maybe a fixed number. He's like, I have right. to get Gotta here. get there. No, I, I gotta hit that probably number. was, yeah. Interesting. Um, this book I is unusually thin. Glinda is yes. unusually thin. Oh, yeah, and oh, yeah, yeah. The thinking there is, I don't think I'm really speaking out of turn too much. I think the general thinking is um, he was ill. And yeah. so with each progressive book, he was able to do less and he was able mm -hmm. to put less into it. And I know there's some light debate about what order he wrote them in, um, which mostly comes from uh, a date he wrote on the draft of Glinda, which says uh, February 20, sorry, February 1917. Um, I think some people pretty much assume he meant 1918. And mm. like we all do with our checks, <laughs> he wrote the wrong year. 
You know, like at the beginning of the year, you write the wrong the wrong year because you mm-hmm. weren't eating. Right, right. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. But that's that's the main reason for the the theories because people have wondered for a while, well, did he rate rate these out of order? We know that. Um, well, we know that the draft of of Glinda was dated then, but we do also know that Magic of Oz, the final version of Magic of Oz, was not turned in until the end of twenty eight. Uh, uh, I did again. Was not turned in until the end of nineteen eighteen. And so, anyway, that's a really a debate for another time. But I think the predominant thinking is yes, he wrote them in order that they're published in. And so, Lost Princess is the last book he started while he was healthy. Um, he mm-hmm. ended Lost Princess in a lot of pain. And then the last three books were essentially written from bed. Um, and to me, that means these are actually a really special set of books. Um, I'm always a little yeah. dismayed that people don't like to examine his last four books because to me, they are. Um, they're his one job books. They're the books where he he uh, he is forced to focus. He has one thing to do now, and that is to write these Oz books. And so they are maybe not tightly plotted is the wrong word, but they're very focused. I think anyone would agree that these last four books have a real drive to them that, you know, He's doing more with um, parallel plotting, for instance. Yes, yes. Doing more kind of thematic coherency. Um, I really love The Tin Woodman of Oz. Not that many people do, but at least it, it. it's thematically very tight from beginning to end of what it's saying about those characters. We quote you in our episode, Sarah. Well, that's good. I love being quoted. Um <laughs> And this book, I think, is similar. I think, I think the themes of it are pretty tight. However, I do think it structurally kind of falls off at the end. And I don't really know why that is, but it does feel like somebody who was like, I need, I, I need to finish this book now. It needs to be, yeah. got to wrap it up, got to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. And I know you haven't, have you read Glenda yet? I know you haven't recorded. Not, no, yet. we haven't read okay. Glenda Well, I won't yet. say much about Glenda, but Glenda is interesting in that it's a very, very solemn book. Um, it's not as humorous as any of his other books. And again, that to me implies somebody who's getting more sick, who yeah. can do less. On my heart. Right. Um, so that's very interesting, and that puts this particular book uh, in a really interesting place because it's not only the confluence of Baum's own troubles or his own probably facing up to his mortality. It's also right at the end of what he would have called the war to end all wars, which is World yeah. War One, mm-hmm. yeah. which he directly references in the dedication to all the right. soldiers. Right. That dedication is... Beautiful. I dedicate this book to the children of our soldiers, the Americans and their allies with unmeasured pride and affection. And there is a little illustration from John R. Neal of a lots of different, lots of different flags, the ally flags and little general gingers almost. It looks like (laughs) a a mass of them um, standing proudly and saluting them. So yeah, that Mm -hmm. must've been on 
uh, plaguing everybody's mind, not just Baum's mind at the time. Yeah. I mean, I think it was probably a really interesting, hard, ultimately forward-looking time, um, but it's a, a hard time to be living in. And this book, I feel like, reflects that. Um, I don't know about you, um, but, you know, I made a joke a minute ago that it's a book about radicalization. And, and that's a joke, obviously, but it also kind of is. It's about a disaffected youth, which if you think about it, Bond doesn't write about disaffected youths. He writes about happy children who end up in storms at sea or in earthquakes or whatever. Yeah. He doesn't write about angry young people so much. So he's got an angry young person or a, an unhappy young person. And that person falls in league with somebody who really means the world ill. Um, that's a very strange. Hmm. Oh, I just got chills. Cause that's like, I think, a bomb novel. And that's a theme we see. I think now um, we're seeing a lot yeah. of young 18 year old men specifically yeah. who are turning towards violence, um, who are definitely disturbed and unhappy. Um, and like, you know, a lot of their, scenery, their settings are a lot of Regido energy, right? Like people who yeah. inspire them to do really horrible, horrendous things. Um, if you like what is on earth from what they're looking at on the internet is really disturbing. So right. yeah, so that's an interesting theme too to put up to today because we're witnessing a lot of, you know, just brutality with gun violence, um, amidst young people being responsible for these things. It's a definite kind of shift in how um, maybe not all children's literature, although I think broadly that's true, certainly Baum's children's literature is looking at the world. And it yeah. carries out through the rest of the book. I mean, there's a, a very large sequence in which essentially uh, Kikiru and uh, Rugido are <laughs> trying to mm -hmm. um, convince the animals to rise up. Yeah. Against. mongering. Um, the Oz people. And this is right on the back door of the Russian Revolution. Um, yeah. There's a lot of strife in the world and a lot of kind of boiling tension. Um, and, and what's wonderful is that Baum plays those themes so lightly, right? We can read the yes. book and we can basically not think about You're them. You're right. Unless we're in the right mood to think about them. Um, you're right. But it's obvious that his mind was maybe thinking about themes that he wanted to make sure he reinforced. Um, maybe trying to say what he could say while he could say it. And he's going to do more of that in Glinda of Oz. Okay. Again, I, I won't go into that with you, but you will see some, some reverberations of that. And it's just very interesting to me because up to this point or up to Lost Princess anyway, you realize, you know, you'd had um, Frank, the man who couldn't settle down. I want to be a lecture circuit star. I want to be a Hollywood producer. I want to go to Egypt. I want to be a celebrity. And now he's really sort of faced. He's forced to be the person he didn't want to just be, but that he's actually really best at. This is actually bomb at his best. Um, yeah. But I think it's sometimes hard for him to accept 
this is his best. This is what he's really, really good at. Um, and I think it's interesting that alongside these very negative elements in the book, he brings in Dorothy and the Wizard, who have become latterly kind of his two... Um, it's sort of like a double act, much like the scarecrow and the Thin Woodman are a double act. Yeah. Dorothy and the Wizard are a double act. Dun, 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 and that will continue dun, dun, through the rest of the series. Yes. Um, I very much see the Wizard as bomb. I think that's very much the 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 later Wizard, the post uh, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz Wizard is bomb. Um, much like the Shaggy Man is bomb and much like Captain Bill is bomb. He's an older man who wants to have fun and have adventures mm-hmm. and be loved and be adored and and then go home to Glinda at night who kept everything going while he was gone. Naughty baby. <laughs> wow. It's very much how I see Frank. Um, wow. But I think, I think that kind of cuddly gentleman adventurer is very much the person he wanted to be. You know, mm. and Dorothy is standing in for all the children whom he wanted to love him and who did love him. Um, so that's very interesting to me that that's what he would go to. It's interesting to me that he goes there after essentially taking his most beloved duo, the Scarecrow and Tin Woodman, and he essentially ends their story in the previous book. You, you'll see them again but they won't be protagonists again in a bomb novel. So they're kind of over here. Yeah. they get So a now he's going to do it with the Gnome King. He's going to tidy up the Gnome King. He's going to um, have one last adventure uh, with Dorothy and the wizard kind of as these great friends and really sort of codify their relationship. And then he sort of sets them to one side too. And then the, Glinda of Oz has not a totally different set of characters, but a different set of relationships to explore. And to me, that very much feels like, okay, I've, I've done this one. Now I'm going to do these characters. Now I'm going to do these characters. And somebody who knows maybe he's, maybe he's running out of time. Um, Definitely. So I can't read this book without thinking about the books around it as a result. Yeah. Um, and I think it's an interesting moment. I think it's, I'm, I'm sad he didn't get to see it come out. Um, I don't know if you talked about how Tin Woodman kind of saw the sales go back up. Yeah. Then I think the sales went up even more for Magic of Oz. Yeah. So it would have been nice for him to see that. Was mm-hmm. reading about that. Some were saying it may be because of the fact that he passed that could have ate it. I'm sure that was a factor. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, um, Sarah, thank you so much. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I went yeah. off on a very broad, no, that like, was so, so grounding helpful. context for where we're at. Um, I actually turned to the bomb bugle a little bit, Ooh. which well, we like it when you do that. And because <laughs> I remembered there was this weird word on the cover of one of the more recent (laughs) issues. I didn't, I didn't. Yes. I was like, I don't recognize that word, but I was like, Oh yeah, there's the magic word. There it is. Um, Mm -hmm. That celebrates the magic. I can't pronounce it right, but then nobody can. 
I, I can't pronounce them. I'm going to try our magic word that we're not allowed to utter without creating a transformation. But there's a whole bomb bugle in 2019 <clears throat> that is devoted to the magic of Oz's 100th anniversary, which is pretty cool. And there are so many cool articles in this, but the one that struck me the most was the one about the uplifters, um, oh, yeah. which we know, but that was bombs gentlemen's club. Um, he, they, let me start that again. Mm-hmm. They brought in a renowned Chinese magician named Ching Ling um, into the club to do a performance. And um, the performance is outlined in this article and a lot of transformation, a lot of enchantment that definitely could show, explain a little bit more to what was happening in Bomb's outside life that maybe was inspiring his Oz life. Cause transformation has been a big theme in these last couple of books. I'm actually kind of tired of it. Like I'm a little tired of transformation. Oh, you're going to get some more of it yet. Yay. Can't wait. It's, oh, it's um, Linda as well. Yeah. But it's really interesting. This article is great. And I will make sure to, to um, share more about this on the Instagram. Oh, thanks too. Um, that was an interesting one. Uh, the whole issue was interesting. Uh, can I talk about it for just a moment? Yes. Um, every year we try and do a centennial issue that uh, celebrates and looks back on uh, the Oz book that's 100 that year. And mm-hmm. we had had such a fun time on Tin Woodman of Oz. And I really lucked out since that is that is my favorite Oz book. And it was the one mm-hmm. just sort of by coincidence landed on me in my first year as editor um, that I was really looking forward to this one. And actually we had a centennial article um, that fell through at the last possible second. And this issue was late because uh, almost everything in it um, had to either be brought forward or, or written from scratch uh, in about six weeks. And um, so I'm very pleased with this issue. I'm actually very proud of this issue because of what we were able to do in a very short period of time. Um, but I'm, I like that Uplifters uh, article that very much came from a researcher sending us a um, clipping from Harry Houdini's own scrapbooks. Yeah, That was really cool. Um, Dennis Wilson-Wise wrote us a, a wonderful article about the origin of magic words that looks into Baum's unspeakable word. And, and then the thing that I – probably my favorite thing in the issue is Zena Henderson's The Believing Child – just because, which is a, it's a short story from 1970. It's really a horror story, um, but it's just so rare to see anybody refer to a bomb book um, that isn't the Wizard of Oz or, or one of that, maybe the first three Oz books, right? No one ever refers to the later ones. So for somebody to write a whole story around the unspeakable magic word, I thought was just really kind of incredible mm-hmm. um so yeah i was really happy with it but it wasn't at all what i thought it was going to be so it just goes to show that bombs books have are so rich yeah. in their thematicness right they have so many different interesting elements that you can always find something that's worth talking about um as indeed i'm proving by Taking over your podcast. Take it over. Take it over, <laughs> Take it over baby. Do. I didn't um, know any of this, so. No, this, is I, this is just delightful to listen to. This was um, a really fun read from the editor's point of view, because partly because it wasn't what I had planned on. So 
people were sending me things and I was like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, it's really cool. You're right. Like to get that much richness for a book that doesn't get the same kind of spotlight as obviously Wonderful Wizard does in his first couple. You're so right with that. Well, and I find being in charge of those centennial issues, people get really inspired by these later books because they haven't, they haven't been done to death. Right. right. You know, everybody has said a lot of things about the Wonderful Wizard of Oz, quite a few things about the Land of Oz and Ozma of Oz. But once you get to this this point, nobody said it. So, so why not you? Right. So that's always very interesting. We had a a good one last year for um, the Royal Book of Oz, which no offense to anybody, may be the the least loved Oz book ever written. Um, (laughs) We've heard that. We still had a nice issue with some really great contributions. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because people were inspired by elements of it and they'd never seen anybody talk about those. So anyway, that's the fun of it for, for me. Thank you for sharing, Sarah. Yes, Editor-in-Chief. Well, just to presence a little bit of Maude before we transition into illustration, since she lost her husband and the love of her life in this time, um, which is documented in The Real Wizard of Oz by Rebecca Longcrane, just to give us a little context, because this was right before the book went out. Baum's health was rapidly declining at the end of 1918, and in early 1919, he remained bedridden, which, woof. Um, So on May 5th, 1919, he lapsed into unconsciousness. On May 6th, he resurfaced. He and Maude talked quietly together as the palm fronds on the big tree that Baum had planted waved back and forth outside the window. A little poetry for us here. Baum told Maude that she was the only woman he had ever loved, and he asked that she never leave Oscott. It reassured him to think that she would live on in the house after his death. He whispered something mm-hmm. into her ear about crossing shifting sands, and then he passed. Um, and this talks about how inconsolable Maude was in the letters she would write to her sister, Helen. He would be buried in Forest Lawn Cemetery in Glendale, which was not far from Hollywood in a plot he had chosen. Um, this was actually a new fashionable cemetery, which makes sense. I feel like Baum is always a little bit stylistic, you know, and all of the things a little bougie in what he wants. So this makes sense. This is where he's been laid to rest. This um, cemetery opened in 1906 um, and it had a European Renaissance feel to it. Um, and it even had a section for children that was called Slumberland, which feels very much like something you would find in the Oz mm-hmm. world. So this is just stuff that's noted. This is like the place he was put to rest, felt like an emerald city of a graveyard, um, if you will. Um, so yeah, it's just, oh, I feel for Maude just reading like God just losing the love of her life and that change and the life she would live after her husband passed was quite extensive and she would be left in charge of a lot of the estate moving forward. But yeah, just acknowledging Baum passed just a month after this went out and there's no, they did not add in anything into the book to say that he had passed. They let the book go to print as it would have if he were alive, Um, which makes his, his like preface, his to my readers a little bit more ominous. I think, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, just to go to that right now before we get into illustrations, um, is there anything that stood out to you and the, to my readers in this pass? Hmm. I mean, yeah, now that obviously we can read it from the perspective that he has passed on it, it definitely gives it this heartbreaking tone. Um, I mean, I did love that. He's like 
the magic of Oz is pretty strange. It's unusual. <laughs> it's, it's like one of the craziest things. <laughs> um, but he does mention that there have been events that have taken place in the world yes. in the few years before in the, quote, great outside world that are so marvelous and inspiring that he can't even hope to equate them with the stories of the Land of Oz. Um, obviously, perhaps unfortunate events as well with World War One going on yes. at the same time. Um but yeah, he has kind of towards the end of this letter, he says, a long and confining illness has prevented <laughs> my me. answering all the good letters sent me, <sighs> unless stamps were enclosed, Shade. which I get, you know, hey, that's a, a lot of energy shady. for him. It. to. It's a little shady. I was laughing and then I was I like, it. oh, I guess if you're ill, like, man, that's tricky to like go get stamps and that's a yeah. whole thing. But completely. Um, but Yeah. But from now on, I hope to be able to give prompt attention to each and every letter with which my readers favor me. And that broke my heart that he was still like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get back to you. I'm going to feel better soon. Um, But this last little bit does sort of feel like even though he's not saying goodbye, it feels a bit like a goodbye. Can I I jump in really quick with just a tiny thing? Go for it. Um, Which is, you know, he rewrote the section about um, giving each and every letter prompt attention. Oh, no. I did not know he rewrote that. In the manuscript, he starts to write, I will reply to each letter. Mm. And then he crossed it out and wrote, I will give prompt attention. Prompt attention, I'm not going to maybe be able to mail them out. Yeah. Yeah, And I think even by then, Maude may have been writing his letters. Yeah. I was going to note that she she couldn't bear to tell readers that he passed. So she just kind of took over and got his signature and a stamp. Oh my god! But um, M, I think you, yeah, you were saying, oh, something about brain. the last bit. Oh yeah, at the end, it feels like he's saying goodbye, even though he's obviously, I don't think he knew he was saying goodbye. But he says, assuring you that my love for you has never faltered, and hoping the Oz books will continue to give you pleasure as long as I am able to write them. I'm yours affectionately. To me, I just took that a little bit as like a goodbye in a way, and that could just be me reading it, knowing he did pass away, but. That's how I took that last bit. No, you're right. It feels like a goodbye. Oh, bomb. So, yeah. Um, and it's his last author's note. The next one is not by him. Mm, so. Right. Right. Last author's this is note. Goodbye. Oh, bomby. The Wizard of Oz is a timeless story. Our favorite timeless story, duh, that can be told through every artistic medium under the rainbow. And that includes rising star makeup artists, flagship and limited edition Emerald City collection that has put the wash and brush up company out of business, honey. From stunning eyeshadows, glowing highlighters, to eye-catching lip care, each product is carefully formulated and packaged to enhance and inspire creativity. All Rising Star MUA products are also vegan and cruelty-free, celebrating an inclusive and conscious community of dream chasers of all ages, backgrounds, and gender expressions. We love to see it. The Emerald City Collection is a must for any Oz bounder, cosplayer, or fan, beauty and cosmetics lover, or anyone in search of aesthetic magic they can bring to their everyday. Personally, the LTB Oh My lip gloss is a daily go-to and new favorite. Visit Rising Star MUA at risingstarmua.com, linked in our show notes, for the merry old glow-up you've been waiting for. Here's to our fierce faces looking glam down our yellow brick road. 
Let's get into illustrations, my friends, because yes. there's a lot of good ones in this. So let's each pick a favorite illustration. It could be a color plate. It could be not a color plate. Whatever one is calling to you. I do love that the beginning is a lot of like our favorite teams, like you were saying, Sarah, like our favorite duets um, <laughs> etched on in with, I love the hungry tiger and the lion. Cause it, we've had a second for the hungry tiger to even be included. So it's good to see him back and see the scarecrow and the tin woodman from our previous book, see Dorothy and the wizard. So it's cool to be set up in that duet way, but favorite illustrations, which, which is yours? I clearly know what mine is for this one because <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to say it. It is the patchwork girl Mm -hmm. singing her song. Of course. (laughs) Singing her newly written song. She is excellent. Um, She's not in this book at all. Our girl scraps, really. This is like one of her only shining moments, and it it packs a punch. So I'm glad there's an illustration to go with it. (laughs) That was one of my favorites as well. I just love the colors. I love any time we get a scraps moment. And I I was like, what is the sheet music? (laughs) It's like the notes are huge. (laughs) Like, how is this a song? I love it. I actually really like the cover of the book with like the orange and the kind of light green and the yellows with the wizard and Dorothy staring at this monkey about to be like, ha ha ha, we're going to take you and put you in a cake. Get ready. So can I I ruin the cover for you? Oh, no. Yes. Yeah, go for it. (laughs) Yeah. So when I was a little kid, um, I didn't have a color edition of The Magic of Oz. I had, um, I had a white edition, looked like mm. that. So it was sort of a partial color. Dick Barton recolored it. Actually redrew it and recolored it. Um, but at the tender age of seven or eight years old, I looked at it and I said, why is the wizard barbecuing a monkey? <laughs> <laughs> barbecuing a monkey. Let me look at that again. You're so and, um, like weird smoke. <laughs> and I've never been able to not see that since then. Particularly as in my copy, like I said, you know, mine has this little red monkey oh, and sort no. of a red, red fiery smoke coming up off of it. But yeah, it looks to me like the wizard's like, ha ha, we're going to roast you. And Dorothy's like, Mr. Wizard, you shouldn't talk to me. Oh my gosh. And the monkey's like, I don't really like the sound of this. So it, it says a little sort of comic strip thing there. But it's <laughs> it's not what was intended. But now that's my way to ruin the cover for Everybody, for all time. Um, I it's see beautifully it composed. I mean, this is Neil at his finest. Hmm. Yeah, this is I a beautifully done book. Smoke. That is terrifying. Oh my gosh, the, that cover! I will never look at it the same now. Nope. But you're right. No, that no. smoke. That smoke. <laughs> I have a smoke. question. What is this? Yep. What is this black and white sketch of the scarecrow and Tin Woodman? Like right after the list of chapters, that does not Let's look like any art we've seen before. You're not well, wrong. It's not in my copy, so I actually don't know what you mean. Mm. After the list of chapters, yeah, we have it on our pro. There we go. Oh, that is—is is that even from this book? I don't think it's from this book. From the original, um, I think you've got it, the Gutenberg. We have mm-hmm. the Project Gutenberg, yeah. Right. So that's taken from the white edition, which Dick Martin recomposed. Uh, which means sometimes he took illustrations from other books. I was going to say, this does not look. 
Yeah. I think that's an illustration from Glinda of Oz. I think. Oh, okay. Um, he occasionally borrowed different ones. They're not even so in this book. We drew them. <laughs> the white editions have an interesting history. They're working mm. on tin girdles and straw <laughs> shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, the illustrations for this book are lovely, and I love that it ends with Ozma peeling back a curtain as our final. And that is my way. favorite illustration in the book. Yes. Actually, is. Mm. Um, this lovely plate of Ozma pulling back the curtain, which I really think should have been the front's piece. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a, an invitation to read the story, right? It mm-hmm. really would have been a great front's piece for this book. Um, which is why I put it in the bugle as one. Oh, uh, I love that. Yeah. It's a very pretty piece. Some of Neil's work around this time, I love his work. And I love his work, particularly in this sort of, 1915 to 1925 zone. Um, but occasionally the choices he made for which illustrations to be made into plates are a little peculiar. Um, and that was true even in like Tin Woodman, which Tin Woodman has two or three, I think, absolutely stellar plates. And it also has a couple plates where you're like, why did you send that one to be colored? Um, <laughs> but there's some great ones here. Ozma's great. Uh, Kiki Aru with uh, Rigido and his rather untamed hair is a great plate. <laughs> There's some good stuff in here. It's also the only time John Arneal drew a cow dog. Oh. oh. So that's special. That makes complete sense because they haven't been back since Wonderful Wizard of Oz. There's a lot of big returns in this book from a lot of big returns. characters we haven't seen. Like even... Ragido is a big return. Mm-hmm. It's been since it is. TikTok. Is that correct? Yeah. Since TikTok of Oz. Like that, that's been a second. Bungle, our glass cat, <laughs> was patchwork girl. And also, are we just ignoring the fact like, didn't she get like a new brain that made her sweeter or something <laughs> at the end of that book? Yeah. That's like yeah. gone. She's back to being like She's sassy. It needs to be compl- complimented to do things. Yes. Yeah. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, this and is so the old burnt. character. She's like, take a look at my brains. They look so pretty. <laughs> well, and, so and pretty. The interesting thing is that the glass cat's um, catchphrase, uh, you can see him work, um, is something yeah, you he added to the manuscript. Um, it's not in the first draft. He went in by pencil and added the lines. Oh. With the ship, so he obviously remembered at some point. I love her. That's <laughs> what he says and decided to place it in a few a few Bungle. I know I reformed her or made her sweeter, but we're going to go back. Yeah, to he doesn't remember that part. You probably wrote <laughs> it on the wallpaper sauce. in the middle of the night. It's just gone now. So. Oh my gosh. Remember the catchphrase. Thank you so much for listening to part one of The Magic of Oz. Stay tuned for part two dropping this Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening to Down the Yellow Brick Pod. If you are feeling fresh with your fingertips, scroll on over to Apple Podcasts and now Spotify woot woot to leave us a glowing rate and review. It's a big help. Each person who leaves us an Apple review will be entered to win our end of the season Oz giveaway, including a gift basket of Aussie book goodies that trust me, you aren't going to want to miss. All previous reviews will also be considered in our entries. We see you. 
Further fun and ways to support us can be found at our Etsy swag shop from Good Witch Trouble merch to our new Fab Four of Oz icon collection with a big shout out to our graphic designer, Maddie Frank. Find us also on Patreon and Instagram via Down the Yellow Brick Pod, as well as on Venmo at Down the YBP. We always appreciate a tip tip here. Let's escape to Oz soon, okay? Okay, Auntie M. 